It is amazing how years can seem short and long all at the same time. At today, we will see a 12-year-old young lady who has a terminal diagnosis. Everything within us screams that a life of only 12 years is not long enough at all. She should have so much life left to live. Yet when it comes to suffering, 12 years seems like an eternity. Today, we are, go- going to, are also going to see a woman who has suffered abdominal pain and bleeding for 12 years. Every day, she experienced pain and suffering in her diseased body. Yet these two individuals encounter Christ on the same day. Both of these ladies, who are experiencing dreadful earthly circumstances, are introduced to the Savior, namely Jesus Christ. Join me as we go through Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56, and see Jesus miraculously work yet again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. God, open up our hearts and minds to hear your word and change us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, and amen. As most of you know, we go through the Bible book by book and verse by verse. This method of preaching allows us to see the entire context of the scriptures that we come to, and it keeps us from skipping over difficult passages. We've just seen Jesus calm a raging storm and then cast out a legion, likely thousands of demons, from a man. Now we come to the last two miracles that he performs in the book uh, of Luke chapter 8. Today we, see, we will see three types of people that Jesus responds to with mercy and grace. The first is Jesus responds with mercy and grace to the humble. To the humble. We'll read Luke 8:40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Now we have seen Jesus returning from where he set sail from only a short time ago, and he is greeted by a crowd yet again. We are told that they were all waiting on him. This short excursion marred by a terrible storm of weather and warring against demons has brought him back to right where he started. Moving on to verses 41 through 42, the first half of 42. It says, And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As before, this crowd of waiting people is not without someone wanting something from the Lord. There is a big reason why they have gathered to wait for the Lord. Some likely are waiting in order to keep learning, but many are gathered because of a big problem that has arisen amongst a prominent member of their community. As soon as he arrives, a man named Jairus approaches him. This man is quite a man. He is the ruler of the synagogue. He is powerful and respected. As we've seen earlier in the book of Luke, many of the religious leaders aren't too supportive of Jesus' ministry. In fact, many oppose him strongly. We are not told what Jairus' disposition had been toward Jesus before this point, but it becomes evident that this man is desperate for Christ because we see this important and powerful man crumble at the feet of Jesus. Verse 42 lets us know what has broken this strong religious leader. His daughter, his only daughter, likely his only child at all, was only 12 years old, and she was dying. Here is where we meet our first trouble at 12. This young lady, who seemed to only be getting started out living her life, was about to see her life tragically end. One could imagine that Jairus had done everything he knew to help his daughter. His power and connections would have given him the ability to afford the best of medical care. Yet his daughter still lay, dying in bed. We are not told the cause of her dreadful condition. We are just told that he is dying, or that she is dying, meaning that her death is imminent. It is only a matter of time before she breathes her last. 
we must observe an important point at this juncture. Jairus has exercised the most pivotal aspect of salvation needed for us today. Namely, he has humbled himself before Christ. James 4.10 states, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jairus is starting out his faith journey right now and it all starts with humility. This is what we need as well today to come to Christ. In this verse from James, we see the exaltation of those who humble themselves before the Lord. This exaltation speaks of the glorification with Christ through eternal life with our Lord. You see, once you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved. After salvation, the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify you and make you more like Jesus Christ. And after death, you are with Christ for eternity in heaven. This is called glorification. As you will receive a new glorified body, one without arthritis, amen, and one that can never die, one that can never have cancer or sickness. But again, the most pivotal aspect of salvation is humility. Only a few short verses before what we just read in James, we see verse 6 where James says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is what keeps people from experiencing salvation in Jesus Christ. This synagogue ruler swallowed his pride and humbled himself before the merciful Savior. As we will see later, this faith and trust was certainly not misplaced. We've seen that Jesus responds with mercy and grace to the humble. Next we see, number two, Jesus responds with mercy and grace to the hopeless. To the hopeless. Read the second half of verse 42 and then verse 43. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her, uh, all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. We are told that as Jesus walks to Jairus' house, people are pressing around him. The crowd obviously wants to see what Jesus is about to do. Uh, they see that there is likely another miraculous healing coming, and they want to observe it. But verse 43 introduces us to someone who has nothing to do with Jairus or his family. In fact, this woman stands in stark contrast to Jairus. While Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue and respected, this woman, we are told, is unclean and has been for some 12 years. Again, we have trouble, but instead of it being at 12 years old, it is trouble for 12, 12 long years. We must pause for a moment to see God's sovereignty at work with this overlap of 12 years in both of these situations. Nothing is by chance, my friends. God is sovereign over every aspect of his creation. Regarding this woman, we must also understand that the Old Testament times, those who were unclean like this were unable to go to the temple, and everything that they sat upon was considered unclean, as we see in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 19 through 30. They were treated as outcasts. Frankly, she shouldn't have even been in the crowd to begin with because of her uncleanness. And Luke gives us a strong narrative on just how terrible her life had been over the past 12 years. During what amounts to be the entire lifetime of Jairus' daughter, this woman has likely had menstrual bleeding and abdominal pain. She's experienced pains and bleeding almost continually. And to make matters worse, she is now destitute because she has spent all that she had on physicians who were unable to heal her. In fact, Mark 5.26 lets us know that the physicians didn't help her get better, but rather she grew worse instead. This woman is hopeless until she sees Jesus. Oh, if everyone here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior saw themselves like this woman saw herself. 
If only you saw yourself as unclean and hopeless apart from Jesus, then you could be saved. I pray that you humble yourself and do see yourself that way. You might look clean on the outside, but on the inside, for those without Christ, on the inside you are wasting away and headed toward an eternity in hell. This woman's problems will pale in comparison to yours if you do not repent of your sins, meaning turn away and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You should not do that, though, because you are afraid of hell. Although hell is certainly something to fear if you are not in Christ, it is a literal place of burning and torment for all eternity. It is certainly a thing to fear, a place to fear, a literal place to fear. But you should turn to Jesus because of his great love for you. He took the punishment that you deserved on the cross, where he was crucified and took on the wrath of God for your sins. If only you will repent and believe, you can be saved. Christ's righteousness will be given to you and your sins will be atoned or paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. What an amazing free gift, my friends. Don't leave here today without knowing that you are a child of God. This hopeless woman found hope in Christ. And moving on to verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. This woman who is hopeless, as we mentioned a short while ago, sees Jesus and her hopelessness is transformed into faith. She thinks, if only I can touch the fringe of his garment, then I can be healed. We are told in Mark 5, 27 that she had heard reports about Jesus and believed. This was not blind faith, it was informed faith. My friends, reach out to Christ and you can be saved. Your uncleanness can be washed white as snow just like this woman experienced. You don't need all of the answers in order to be saved. This woman likely couldn't have given you a great systematic theology of Christ and who he is. But she believed what she did know and trusted him alone for salvation. This is what he asks of us today as well. He will fill in the rest by his word and his Holy Spirit. We see the sign of her salvation and her healing. Immediately she stopped bleeding. And we know that she must have had terrible abdominal pains because she could tell that the problem was gone immediately. Her tortuous pains were relieved at once and she was delivered from her disease. For those of us today who are saved, we see the sign of our salvation through the fruit of the Spirit. We see confirmation of a lost person who is now saved by seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as Galatians 5, 22-23 state. Moving forward, we see this account get even more interesting reading verses 45 and 46, and Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Verse 45 presents an interesting interchange. Jesus asks a question, and Peter does what Peter usually does best. He speaks without thinking. Jesus asks, who touched him? And Peter points out to Jesus that his question is somewhat ridiculous because everyone is touching him and pressing in on him right now. Not to be deterred by Peter's foot and mouth syndrome, he clarifies to Peter that some power had gone out from him. Note that this does not mean that he ran out of power or that he could run out of power. It wasn't as if he didn't have the ability left in him to heal Jairus' daughter. We will certainly see that he has enough power shortly. But he has noted that this woman has been healed by his power. You see, Jesus knew it was the bleeding woman who had touched him. This question isn't for his benefit. 
This question is for the benefit of the crowd, his disciples, and most of all, the woman herself. It is important for us to know that Jesus is not pleased with anonymity, meaning he is not pleased with only privately worshiping him. Although we should always be worshiping Christ in private as well, we should see in Luke 9 that our worship must also be public for Christ. We must publicly affirm our allegiance to Jesus. In Luke 9.26, we hear this warning, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Friends, true believers in Christ don't hide it. He was challenging this woman to step forward and show her faith in front of others. This was for her benefit as well. She was to be seen as cleansed by the Savior. She was no longer unclean, and this was to be announced to everyone present. This is another reason why evangelism is important. We need to share the gospel with others and not be ashamed of the gospel. This is also why baptism is important. We need to publicly show the world what the Lord has done in us. We were dead in our sins, but he has resurrected us to new life. We had hearts of stone, but he has removed that and given us a heart of flesh. Praise the Lord for that. Moving forward, we see the woman take this step of faith in front of all present. Reading verses 47 through 48. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You can imagine how many people have just lied right about now. I didn't touch him. It wasn't me, even though many of them had, in fact, probably touched him. They're all fearful for what is about to happen. This woman who was healed obviously perceives that she cannot hide in the crowd with Jesus present. You wonder if even the eyes of Jesus fixed upon her at some point. My friends, that brings up a great theological lesson. You cannot escape the eyes of the Lord. He sees everything. The darkness doesn't hide you, and the crowds don't hide you. Christ sees everything. Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In Jeremiah 23, 24, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? There are many, many other verses like this. God sees everything. After seeing that she cannot hide from the Lord, she steps forward, falls before him, and acknowledges that it was her and that she was healed immediately. The crowd probably thinks Jesus is about to scold her or reprimand her. Yet Jesus' response is beautiful. He calls her daughter. Note that this is the only time in the scriptures that we see Jesus call a grown woman his daughter. This is an important word. It means that she is an adopted daughter, that she is saved, and that her faith has been acknowledged and that Jesus has given salvation to her. And he finishes with, go in peace. Isn't it great that Jesus speaks peace into the lives of his people? Peace is a gift from God and one of the fruits of the Spirit, as we talked about in Galatians 5. We saw Jesus speak peace in the midst of a literal storm a couple of weeks ago when Christ said, Peace be still to the storm. Now we see Jesus speak peace in the life of a woman who has been ravaged by 12 years of a continuous storm in her body. Jesus brings that same peace for us today, friends. He offers us peace that surpasses all understanding, as Philippians 4-7 says. 
only trust in him alone. We've now seen that Jesus responds with mercy and grace to the humble, the hopeless, and finally, Jesus responds with mercy and grace to the helpless, to the helpless. Let's read verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. This brief interlude with this woman is interrupted by some horrible news. Someone from Jairus' house comes and tells him that his daughter is dead. The amazing faith that this woman has had is quickly overshadowed by the faithlessness of this person from Jairus' house as they state, do not trouble the teacher anymore. You can hear the doubt and faithlessness in the words of this person. It is hopeless, Jairus. Give it up. Your daughter is dead. Can you imagine the feeling of the crowd at this point? The wind was certainly taken out of their sails in a flash. The crowd went from excitement and anticipation to mourning within a moment, yet Jesus was not done. Can you imagine the struggle in Jairus as well, what he is experiencing? He wasn't there when his little girl died. The myriad of emotions that suddenly filled his heart was probably overwhelming, yet Jesus encourages him to keep going. Have faith. Verse 50, But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Don't you love the grace and mercy of Jesus? Even when we cannot seem to muster enough faith at times, he is always there to encourage us to keep going, to persevere. It might look hopeless, but it isn't. Nothing is impossible with Christ. Press on. My friends, we see the whole and the false prosperity and healing gospel here. Jesus helps this guy and encourages this man, Jairus. He calls him to greater faith, and he instills that in him through his encouragement. Many times we don't have enough faith to muster up, and Jesus carries us along. Praise the Lord for that. He just asks us to take that first step, and he carries us all along the way. It's not how great our faith, it's how great he is. He is sovereign, and he does what he pleases. We see an important principle here as well in our lives. The longer that we walk with Jesus, the more he calls us to greater faith. Hmm. As you continue in the faith, don't think that Jesus will be okay with where you are right now for long. He will continue to call you to greater faith and obedience as he continues growing you and transforming you more like himself through sanctification. Moving forward, we see this group arrive at Jairus' house. Reading verses 51 through 53. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, James and, or Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was, and she was dead. Jesus takes with him the girl's father and mother, as well as three of his disciples, the inner three, that get a special look inside of Jesus' miracles, some of his biggest miracles, Peter, James, and John. Those mourning and weeping laugh at Jesus as he, as he asserts that the girl is only sleeping and not dead. Not only were these mourners relatives and friends, but many of these mourners were actually paid and professional mourners. That seems like a strange job for us today, but it was actually customary in biblical times to have, the, to have these paid mourners who would weep and wail on behalf of the family. So these professionals knew what death was. That was their job. So they scoff at Jesus when he says the girl is just asleep. 
Note that Jesus means that her death is but temporary. She is not in a state of soul sleep, as some falsely teach. She is truly dead. So we will see in a moment that her spirit must actually return in order for her to awake. He uses this statement as a metaphor for death and a sign that her death will be but temporary. Moving on to verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Wow, so amazing. Those verses that we just read over. Could you imagine being there and hearing that? Child, arise, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And with two simple words, these parents' lives are changed forever. Child, arise. Mark 5, 41 gives us two Aramaic words that Jesus actually spoke. We see that uh, Talitha Kume, which means little girl, arise. Luke, writing to a primarily Gentile audience, gives us the Greek translation. It's important to note that Jesus allows Peter to witness this miracle as well. In Acts 9.40, well after Jesus has been crucified and rose from the dead, Peter would go on to perform a similar miracle by raising a godly woman of the early church named Dorcas, also known as Tabitha. Here is Acts 9.40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Looking back at Luke 8.55, we are told that her spirit returned, again, showing that she was truly dead and that her spirit had departed her body. And she got up at once. I love the practicality of Jesus' next command. Can you imagine the parents at this point just dumbfounded? He says, give her something to eat. They needed something simple to do to bring them back to reality. Interestingly, Jesus charges the parents not to tell others what had happened. I cannot imagine how hard that would, would have been for them, but obviously Jesus didn't want earthly resurrection to be his ministry. The late R.C. Sproul joked that if he wasn't careful, Jesus would be invited to all the funerals of the area. <laughs> Jesus came to preach the gospel. The gospel does provide a resurrection, but it is one unto eternal life. It is not just a temporary resurrection. It is a resurrection unto eternal joy and blessing with Jesus Christ. As we come to a close, we have just seen two amazing miracles that the Lord Jesus did while on earth. Over the past three weeks, we've now seen four miracles from Jesus. These four miracles have highlighted Jesus' sovereign reign over every aspect of this world. He reigns over the weather and creation. He reigns even over evil and overpowers evil. We see this no, no better, uh, in no better way than the cross in which he defeated death and the grave so that by his work on the cross we may be saved if only we would place our faith and trust in him. He reigns over sickness. And we see again that he reigns over death as he shows it through his resurrection power in this 12-year-old girl. Friends, you can trust Jesus. I pray that you, have truly, you are truly saved and a believer in Jesus Christ. If not, I urge you to take that step of faith today. Today is the day of salvation, my friends. I would love to talk to you about, after the service, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. If you have been saved but have not followed through in baptism, I would love to help you follow through in that as well. Follow Christ in obedience to his word by being baptized and show the world that you are not ashamed of him. Our Savior responds with mercy and grace to the humble. To the hopeless and to the helpless, my friends, apart from Christ, we are all hopeless and helpless. And until we humble ourselves before him, we have no hope.
Trust in Jesus, my friends. He is faithful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord God, if anyone who is listening to this is not saved, I pray that they put their faith and trust in you, Lord. Pray that they believe that you are the Son of God, that God made flesh, lived this perfect, sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave three days later, and now at the right hand of the Father, and that by putting our faith and trust in you and repenting or turning from our sins, we may be saved, God. May you save souls, Lord Jesus. For those of us who are saved, may we go out and tell others about you. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. Lord God, do a mighty work in us, Lord. We love you. We praise you and we thank you. It's in your awesome holy name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed week.